Romans 12 is where we're at. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Would you give me the Passion Translation? I, I believe we have the Passion Translation up here. Can I get that? I'm, I'm not sure if I got the, yeah, here it is. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and to live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. And I'll just give you just sort of one more little translation, uh, just, just one more thought here that God wants to take these minds of ours and these hearts of ours and turn them into like a sacrifice unto him. So I want to discuss and talk about from these verses that Martin Lloyd-Jones preached for 12 weeks on these two verses, I'm only going to preach this one, but I want to talk about knowing God's will, how to discern the will of God for your life. So pray with me. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat and let's talk about this. When's the last time you were trying to figure out God's will about something? <laughs> this morning? Should I buy this car? Should I change my major? My boyfriend's about to ask me to marry him. I like him, but do I say yes? Should I turn this assignment in early? Should I call my teacher? Uh, should I ask this person out? Should I not ask this person out? Should I go on a Morocco missions trip? Should I take the promotion, even though I love the job that I'm in right now? Should I go and talk to the person I'm in business with because it's not working out real well? Should I take a gap year after I graduate from college this year? What Should I do anything for Christmas this year? Or should this be the year that we tell the kids we're doing no presents at all? We're just going to be Mother Teresa. How do we do? What is God's will? Have you ever wished God's will was more clear? You ever just wish God would just send you a message and tell you, this is God's will? Don't buy the car. You ever wish he would say something like, offer this many dollars, and then they will say yes, and you'll get the car at a good deal? Wouldn't it be nice if it worked like that? Is it possible to know God's will? Is it even possible? Are we just kind of walking through life? I will tell you, I've been praying for a number of weeks now because I want for you and me to live in the middle of the will of God. Like, like I just want to, I want to really make a statement today that I do believe you are wired to be able to discern and recognize the will of God 
and I have been asking, God, let your people walk in God's will. He's actually spoken to us quite a bit about what the will of God is, and this passage that we're reading is actually priceless for this. Like, there, there's a lot that the Bible says about the will of God, but this particular passage specifically describes to us how to discover the will of God. And if we have ears to hear, I, I think we can kind of figure this out. Of course, in verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now he's saying, therefore, I'm, I'm urging you now. Now he, this is a line he uses in other places, but this is Romans 12. It's, it's the first 11 verses of, first 11 chapters of Romans is just this tour de force of, of the gospel. It's, it's about the mercies of God. The book of Romans, unlike a lot of letters that Paul writes in other places, is not really a response to specific questions or an issue or a problem, but Romans is this, this overview. It's maybe one of the greatest pieces of literature in all of human history. It's this overview of, of the gospel of Jesus. It's, it's what God has done on our behalf. For 11 chapters, he describes what God has done, and now he shifts, and he says, therefore, in light of what God has done, in light of his, his mercy, I, I now want you to, there, there's nothing you can do, watch, there's nothing you can do to earn God's mercy, but there's a lot that you can do in response to God's mercy. Now, this is where a lot of us go wrong because we'll say things like, well, God knows where I am, and if he wants to talk to me, he will, which he has said, I will speak to you, but I'm going to speak to you by my mercy, but there are things that you can do to respond, which is why he says, I urge you. In some versions, it says, I'm begging you, like one of my children begging me for candy or for presents. Paul says, I'm urging you. I'm begging you in light of God's mercy, and this is what he says to do, offer up your body. Everyone say my body for, for a Hispanic heritage month kind of thinking here. Say mi cuerpo, my, my, my body. He says offer up, in light of God's mercies, offer up your body. Now it's interesting. Why doesn't he say give him your soul? Because I hear Christians talk a lot about like, oh, I remember when I gave Jesus my heart or I gave Jesus my soul or I gave Jesus my insides. I think it's interesting. He's actually saying he doesn't just want your insides. He wants your outsides. He actually wants your body. Offer, in fact, even right now, why don't we just even take a, a, like a little sermon pause. Why don't you take 15 seconds and say, God, I actually offer to you my eyes to look and my ears to hear and my hands to touch and my feet to go as you want me to. Would you do that? Just take 10 seconds. Just say, Lord, I give you my body. How do I do it? Just like that. Lord, I give you my body. I offer my body to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the body is where the effort happens. Now again, you, you can't earn God's grace, but you can respond to God's grace. You can bring effort in light of God's grace. And the body is where the stuff happens. Your body is the canvas of your brain and your soul and your spirit. Your body, I know we talk a lot, we, we almost act like bodies don't matter and yet Jesus came and took on a body and he gave us a body and your body is actually even part of how God made you and I, I, I really wanna mess with this a little bit because I'll hear people say things like, well don't, you can't trust your feelings and the body doesn't matter and things like, I wanna let you know, it's, I'm gonna go there with this but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
Your body is the location of where, when we pray prayers like, God, may your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Let me say it like this. May God's will be done in your body as it is in heaven. God will actually use your physical body to help you discern the will of God. I like that because I don't know what's going on on the inside at all times, but I've got a body, and God will use your body, and God cares about your body. When he said things like, I felt power go out of me, I believe that Jesus' body was actually even being used to help discern what was taking place. You are a holistic being. You are a spirit, soul, and body. And to disembody your soul and spirit from you is something foreign to Scripture because scripturally, you've got a spirit, you are a spirit and a soul, if you want to say that, and a body. Like, this is very much part of you. One day you'll have a glorified body, to be sure. Our bodies are wasting away. They're perishing. Some of our bodies are getting older and tired, and you feel the pain and all of that. So can someone praise God that one day you'll have a glorified body? <laughs> With no more pain. Won't that be nice to have no more pain, no more struggles, no more tiredness, no more any of that? But even now, your body, give him your body. Stop acting like your body belongs to the devil. It belongs to God. So he says, offer up your body. So this is where the will of God is done on the earth. And he says, he says, I want you to offer. Now it's interesting. He says, offer up your body. He wants your bodies. This word offering, it's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 6.13. In fact, give me that verse up there, Romans 6.13, when he's describing this, when he kind of gives us some of these, this idea of the offering. He says, do not, no, go back to Romans 6.13. Do not offer any part of yourselves as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, what's the word? Offer. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And he says it again. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument. Three times. It's the exact same Greek word. Offer, offer, offer. Offer yourselves as instruments of righteousness. Don't let your bodies be used as instruments of unrighteousness. Offer up yourself. It's this theme that Paul brings and he uses. He wants us to, how do you discern the will of God? The easiest way to enter into this is to offer up your body as living sacrifices, he says. Now, these people would have known about dead sacrifices, they would have known about animal sacrifices, that you would take an animal, put them on an altar, and the animal died. He says, I want you to offer up yourselves as living, thank God, living sacrifices. Of course, the cliche that I've heard before is, uh, you know, kind of cheesy, but it's a little bit true, is the problem with living sacrifices is they can crawl back off the altar. And how many of us have? Right? So how do we, what does it look like to, to offer up our bodies as, as living sacrifices. Like, what, what does it look like to do that? What, what is there to this idea of, of getting our, giving our bodies to God? Like, what might that be? Well, the next verse, I think, gives us the ideas because in verse 2 it says, right after this it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We just read the Passion Translation that says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. I like how the message says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. 
Okay, the first step of discerning God's will is this. It's recognizing that the culture that you live in has given you these cheap, scratched lenses through which you're looking at things. The the problem with culture is you start to view things through the culture. You start to interpret things through the opinions and the ways of the culture. Step number one, if you want to discern God's will, step number one is this. Remove the wrong lenses. It's to recognize that there could be lenses on you that when you're thinking about, and when you're like, man, let me just say, this is the problem when people say, man, I just got to tell you what I think about that. Well, what you think about that could be flavored by the lenses that you're wearing, which is why the first step is remove the wrong lenses. I, I love watermelon. Anyone else like watermelon? One of the more interesting inventions to me was this. Can you put that picture up there? They, a few years ago in Japan, they started inventing square watermelons. Really, really interesting thing, these square watermelons. And the idea was, it is so inconvenient to package these weird-looking watermelons. This is so much easier to package. And so they, they just said, hey, man, let's just do this. We're going to go ahead and we're going to grow these watermelons in a box where they get formed to whatever shape that the manufacturers want to shape them. And they only get as big as the manufacturers want them to get. And the scripture says that the world system that we live in has a shape that it wants to get us to, sh- to go into that shape. And what Paul says is that the first step is realizing I have to remove the wrong lenses because if I'm not careful, I just read the news and it shapes me. And I just, I go listen to some music and it shapes me. I get into conversations and they shape me. And the next thing you know, when I look at things, I start reacting, responding, and thinking and feeling like the square watermelon package that I'm being packaged into. And God says, if you want to know my will, do not be conformed to this world. Now, it takes a little humility sometimes to understand a lot of our opinions are not our own. We've been duped. Now, only humble people can realize that. Now, I think there's a lot of legitimate criticism about like the evangelical institutional church complex that there are lenses through which people look. What many people don't understand is there are more than one set of bad lenses. And a lot of people are hyperactively ready to deal with one type of bad lenses, but they, they, can, they can check out you know, brown lenses, but they don't see the blue lenses, or they don't see the green lenses, they don't see the whatever lenses. And what the scripture says is remove the wrong lenses. I, I know several people that are um, lactose intolerant. I was with one this past week, and he's lactose intolerant, and we were all going to eat something that had lactose in it, and he's just like, I just don't care. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to do the lactose anyway. And so he went ahead, and he indulged with a whole bunch of lactose, and, and he's like, yeah, I was in the bathroom for a lot of time. He says, but it was, it was worth it because I just wanted to have those few minutes of pleasure for the several hours of misery, but it was still worth it is what he tried to convince himself of it. What Scripture says about you and me that you need to know about us is that you and I are actually ways of this world intolerant. You and I don't thrive on the ways that go against what God says. We, we covered this when we talked about sexuality, when the Bible says that your body is not made for sexual immorality. You think you are in the same way you think 
when you crave monosodium glutamate, when you crave MSG, you think you're made for it because you crave it, but, but Scripture tells us you and I don't thrive outside of God's ways. Now, this is why it's so important when we come to a place like 2 Peter chapter 2, it says that 2 Peter chapter 2, it says God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes. He made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, and here it is, watch, for that righteous man, Lot was a righteous man, that righteous man living among them day after day, let me put the glasses on, when he lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now this is what you would call the exposure principle. You become influenced by what you see and hear. This is why I'm not in favor of, like, I think it's appropriate sometimes to walk out of a room, take the glasses off. I think it's appropriate sometimes that you hear someone gossiping, and you're like, wait, 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 I, I need to remove myself from this. I don't, well, I need to let them vent. You, you really don't need to let a slander or a gossip vent like that. No, you're, you're just leaving the glasses on. There, there are some there are some things you don't need to see. There are some things you don't need. Lot's righteous, Lot was, all, he didn't even do what they did in Sodom. He just watched and heard what they did in Sodom. And the Bible says his righteous soul was tormented and twisted by what he saw and heard. Mike, what are you saying? I'm saying take the glasses off. Just recognize that everybody believes they're seeing clearly when the glasses are on because you get so accustomed to looking at it through these lenses. Step number one of navigating God's will is do not be conformed to this world. Don't imitate the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Don't become so well adjusted to the culture. Friends, listen to me. This culture has put glasses on us. If you live in America, there are American goggles. If you're from India, there are Indian goggles. If you're from Europe, there are European goggles. If you're from South America, there are South American goggles. If you're from Ghana, there are Ghanaian goggles. Step number one is recognizing there is a lot of virtue in every culture I just mentioned, but there are also ways of culture that will oppose God's will. You will not know God's will when you're looking at it through these lenses. Remove the wrong lenses. So Mike, apply this for me, okay? Use your body to remove the lenses. What does that look like in the real world? It looks like things like this. There are disciplines that God has given us that can help us. If you struggle with your words, the discipline of silence is a very good discipline. The discipline of solitude is a very good discipline. Just to take time when you're praying. Like I believe in, a lot of people in our church have daily quiet times where they pray and read their Bibles. That's good. It's also good sometimes you're not reading, you're not talking, you're just silent. There's the discipline of fasting. At the beginning of the year, for probably the first 21 days of the year, we will do a fast. Fasting has a way of detoxing you, not just physically, but even emotionally and spiritually. I was talking to one of the friends this week that was describing how uh, he did not know he was gluten intolerant until one of our fasts, third day into a fast, he's eaten no food, and his allergies have all disappeared because, turns out, he was intolerant to gluten. 
And so getting away from that, he used his body to abstain. And when he used his body, again, I, I just want you to see, he didn't just give God his soul. He didn't just give God his spirit. He gave God his body. And when he gave God his body, something happened. I have seen so many people that have heard God's will come through clearly during a fast. See, fasting is not about like you trying to twist God's arm to do what you want. Fasting is about you untwisting your heart and soul to understand what he wants. That's what happens when you fast. There's, there's other disciplines that we have. There's, there's, sometimes it's good just to do a social media fast. You're like, well, Mike, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, I do. Like, we already know, like, teenage girls that are on Instagram a lot, we already know it's very, very troublesome for many of their souls, their self-esteem, their body image, and things like this. Sometimes, and you could, the same thing can happen to a guy. I get that. I'm just telling you what the statistics are telling us. So I'm not saying never do Instagram. I'm saying it might be good that some people, they're not on, they're not on TikTok. They're not on, you know, uh, they're not on looking at, at videos. They're not going to go and check out YouTube clips. They're not going to be on Instagram. There's sometimes someone takes a hiatus or a fast to do a little detox to take the lenses off. And there's sometimes, oftentimes, surprising things that God will reveal when we do that. Do not be conformed. Use your body. I'm, I'm going to say it again. Use your body. You, use your body to put you in a spot. Number one, remove the, God, remove the wrong lenses. Number two, he says this. Do not be conformed. But number two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is why number two, I would say, put on the right lenses. Take off the wrong lenses. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what you have to know is there is a culture that God has. There's a culture of heaven. So I married a Puerto Rican, and we went to a Puerto Rican Christmas. I don't even know what you call it. I don't know, I don't know what you call the thing. We went to a Puerto they, they roast a, a whole pig or a hog, and, and there's all these desserts, and there's all the stuff and, and whatever. And anyway, so I'm... I thought I knew Puerto Rican culture and Cuban culture, Caribbean culture. I thought I knew. Anyway, we got invited. There's like 100 plus people at this, this deal. Uh, Oscar and Nancy Roche were doing this thing. And, and uh, I show up at their place, at their house. Everyone was supposed to bring something. I brought some dessert. Now, I went to one of the very nice places in town that makes these great chocolate desserts. So I got these amazing, spent a lot of money, actually, on these chocolate desserts. I got there. I didn't want to be, like, braggadocious, but I was, like, clearly, I brought the best thing here. You know, like, it was, I felt like it was very obvious, right? So I bring that, I, you know, bring that, place that at the dessert table. I'm all excited about this dessert that I've got. Anyway, everyone's eating their food, and the dessert hasn't come yet. And as soon as dessert time was there, I rushed over to go ahead and make sure I got at least one piece of my chocolate stuff that I brought because uh, I knew it was going to be gone, you know, and I didn't want to be selfish, but me and the little kids ran up to the dessert tables first. After a couple minutes, though, when I was looking back, I was a little surprised when nobody was walking to any of my chocolate. And I started even coming over and moving my chocolate desserts over a little bit so people could see them because maybe people had like stigmatisms in their eye or something because they weren't making it there. And then I started even trying to sell like, oh man, I just tasted that one. Whoever brought that, that was good. And, and um, no one was taken. And by the, end of the, by the end of the day, every grain of rice I think was gone. Every bit of pernil was gone. Every bit of chicken, uh, turkey, ham, every single dessert was gone except for my amazing chocolate desserts where there was one piece missing. To which I went and I, I, I asked some people, I'm like, so wait, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. They're like, oh, 
we're Puerto Ricans. Like, we do, like, mango desserts, and we do tres leches, and, we, and they start naming it. There's all these fruits and fluffy things and milky things, and I'm like, chocolate, you know? And they're like, do you know Puerto Rican culture? And I'm like, is there no such thing as, they're like, not for Christmas when you've got mango desserts and lemon desserts and citrus desserts. And, uh, and, and what I didn't realize, I was still wearing my gringo wrong lenses. I kind of walked in thinking I had something going on, and they're like, hey, next time you come, why don't you take off the lenses of your gringoness, and why don't you put on your, your, your boricua, put on the right lenses again. See, see, when we come to God, what he says here is, there's, there's something about, in, in view of God's mercy, he says, I want you to put on, Paul Tripp describes it as, put on your gospel lenses now. In view of God's mercy, Put on your gospel. Why do we forgive people? Because we've been forgiven. You put on gospel lenses. How do you, Tim Keller describes a man that was at his church that was incredibly racist. And the man had, but then he met Jesus and he started to really study the gospel. And his racism withered away. And they tried to figure out what happened. And what happened was, in the book of Galatians, there's a a place where when Peter was sort of being racist, Paul tells Peter, he says, hey, you're not living in a way that lines up to the truth of the gospel. And the, see, the gospel is not compatible with racism. The gospel is not compatible with some of these other things. When you put on gospel lenses, it changes the way you look at things. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is why I would say in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 8, let me read this to you. Ephesians 5, 8, it says, For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Because the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to mention the things that disobedient do in secret. But everything is exposed by the light. It becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it says, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. In fact, I want to say it to some of us. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. And here it is, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish but understand what the, see, don't walk in darkness. Take off the wrong lenses. Put on the right lenses. See, you've got to remove the wrong exposure, but then you need to get the right exposure. It's, it's not enough to just simply say, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop the wrong. You want to put on the right. You want to replace it with the right exposure, the presence of God and the people of God and the promises of God and the word of God and the gospel of God. So how this works is you start to do this and you're like, wait a minute. You start to get renewed. It's like the old country guy that they would say, I do whatever I like. So this old country Christian says, I do whatever I want to do. Jesus just changed my liker. Pastor Lastinger used to always say, I sleep with every woman I want to. And I only want to sleep with one. Because Jesus has changed my heart. Put on the right lenses. See, so what this means is, this means like learning to, it's learning a new way of doing things. And if you've ever been to another country, somebody, how do you say, where's the bathroom in Spanish? Anyone know, any gringo know how you say, where's the bathroom? 
¿Dónde está el baño? You're looking, for, you're looking for a bathroom. Okay, learning to God's will is a lot like discerning a new language. It's less like just getting the exact words, like donde esta el baño. Okay, it's less like happening upon, the, and, and this, is, this is the danger I think sometimes. I think some of us want God's will for the next investment or the next job or the next hire or the next decision that we're making. God wants us to become the kind of people that walk in the light. He wants us to become the kind of people that we become. See, you can say, ¿Dónde está el baño? And someone could say, what does that mean? You're like, I don't know. I think it means something about the bathroom. That's not the same thing as a lot of you are doing Duolingo right now. And when you do Duolingo, you're, you start with vocabulary. Baño, baño, bathroom, baño, ¿dónde? Where? ¿Dónde? Está, is, ¿dónde está el baño? See, when you start getting vocabulary and then you get sentences and phrases, now you start to be able to to get the possibility of having the, the framework with which to go and to hear things and see things and detect things. I think sometimes we want to hear God's will, but we haven't learned his vocabulary. Well, where do I find his vocabulary? In this book. In this book, you will, you will find things. You're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in a marriage that I don't know that I like. And I'm, oh, man, I don't, maybe I made the wrong decision when I got married. Man, I should have never married her to begin with. Well, the Bible says if you're married now, it's God's will. You're like, well, how do you know? Because of what the Bible says. So, like, so if, like, I've literally talked to people, and the issue was not they were being abused. The issue was not their spouse was cheating on them. The issue was simply something like, oh, I just don't think we like each other. We've sort of grown apart. We're not in love anymore. I don't think God wants me to stay married to someone I'm not in love with. Well, the Bible actually says he very much wants you to stay married to someone you're not in love with because he wants you to turn your I got to be in love with a marriage to start being I'm going to 1 Corinthians 13. I will love you by choice, not just by feeling because the way that these glasses say it is, man, you just got, you love when you feel it. The way these glasses work is that our God is love and when you put on Jesus and you walk in Jesus, you actually have it in you in the image of God to generate love, not just because you feel it, but because you can be made in the image of the God who himself is love. You can generate love unlike anything you've ever known. Well, but you would only know that if you know the vocabulary words of this book. You could be on a date with a guy and, and the guy's like, hey, man, we should, I, I think it's God's will for us to get a little closer relationally and sexually. And, and you'd already be able to say, well, wait a minute. It says in Thessalonians, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. You must stay away from sexual immorality. It is God's will that you're sexually pure. You could say, oh, man, I'm really bitter with somebody. I, I'm so bitter. I, I think I need to go talk to five people about this to think clearly. Well, no, the Bible actually says if you're bitter with someone, you go to that person. You don't go to five other people. You go to them. You already know the vocabulary. Now, here's the catch. If what you are saying is I want God's will, but I don't want his vocabulary words, even when he gives it to you, you won't understand it because you don't know the vocab. You got to know this word. This word gives you the vocabulary through which God is going to speak to you when you're going to know, wait a minute, that, that, that's, that's God's will. Now, by the way, the only way to learn a language, I mean, you can do Duolingo, but I strongly suggest you immerse yourself. You, you go to another country. For me, part of my immersion was I was trying to get a Puerto Rican woman to marry me, so she went to a Spanish church, so I would go to the Spanish church. And they would start to sing songs, and I didn't know what they were singing, but fortunately in Spanish churches, they sing one song for 30 minutes straight. <laughs> so eventually you get it. Si tuvieras fe como grano de mostaza, 
Eso lo dice el Señor, tú le diría. And, you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's what it means if a grain of mustard seed. If you've got faith like a grain of, I'm like, oh, now I get it. They're like, yeah, we've sung it 47 times. That's, that's a good way to learn a language, man. Music, I st- you start, l- l- if you're trying to learn Spanish, let me just give you some ideas. Take some songs you already know. Maverick City's got some good Spanish songs right now. You know the song in English, you listen to it in Spanish, you're like, oh, I'm starting to get it because you get the vocabulary, you start to get the conjugation. You can, again, what I'm trying to say is a lot of us, I think we want God's will. We want sentences of God's will. He wants us to learn the language. Awake, O sleeper. Take off the wrong lenses, put on the right lenses. This is why I would say, this is why Jesus would say in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It's going to be done for you. Wait, wh- wh- how does that work? See, if, if what you think that means, oh, good, sweet, I can get whatever I want, you can. Because when his words abide in you, you start to change what you want. If you abide in me, Jesus says, in my words, in my vocabulary, in my culture, in my opinions are living inside of you, ask what you will, a lot of us struggle because we're like, man, some of my prayers get answered and some of them don't. I'll tell you how your prayers get answered. Abide in him, get his words abiding in you, put on the right lenses. You start looking at the world like, wait, I already, God's going to answer that and God's going to answer that and God is doing that and God is doing that and something changes. I'm telling you, there is a, when you know something is God's will, there is a certainty that you have. Satan wants us double-minded. He wants us to be double-minded in all of our ways because then we're unstable and tossed like the waves. Then we walk in doubts. But when you, I'm t- watch, when you know something is God's will, you can handle suffering. When you know something is God's will, you can endure waiting. When you know something is God's will, you can handle opposition. When you know something is God's will, you can handle difficulty. But when you don't know if something is God's will, I'll tell you what you do. Uh, maybe I should quit my job. Maybe I should get out of this marriage. Oh, maybe that was the wrong decision. Jesus, uh, please, please do this prayer, but I'm not really sure. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Be- speak to the mountain, and when you pray, believe that the mountain is going to be moved, and if you will believe, it's going to be moved. Why don't we see more mountains moved? Because we're very uncertain. Faith is being sure and certain of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Faith is attached to, you know it's God's will. A lot of us struggle with our faith because we're so unclear about God's will. See, knowing God's will has so many implications in all of our spiritual life. When I know it is, I already know what to pray. If one of you comes up today, you're like, I'm sick. I already know what to pray because the vocabulary is in my system. By his stripes, you're healed. He carried away infirmities. That's what Jesus did. I know what to pray. Now, I I don't understand all the timing. I don't see a promise in Scripture that the timing always happens at the moment I want it to happen. But I'll tell you this, and if you come up for prayer today at the end of this sermon and you're like, I'm sick in my body, I'll tell you what we are praying with certainty. In the name of Jesus, in your body, on earth, as it is in heaven, be healed. Someone's got a lost family member. One of your children is astray. You're like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's God's will that that they perish forever and they go to hell. Maybe they're just, no, I already know what God's will is. It is God's will that none should perish. I pray with certainty. Jesus, save them. Speak to them. Give them dreams in the night and visions in the day and divine appointments wherever they go. Show them how much you love them. They're staying away from you because they don't know what you're like. They don't know how good you are, and yet the goodness of God leads people to repentance, which means I want people to know the goodness of God. 
I can pray that with faith. With surety, well, Mike, are you sure that's God's will? What if it's really God's will to torment them? That is not God's will. I know what God's will is. It's God's will to, now you could say, well, what, you know, don't you think at the end of the day that there is like God's, and I'm not even gonna get into the difference between God's sovereign will and, and all the different, you know, like the theological, I'm talking at a very practical, boots on the ground level right now. You need to be confident of God's will, which comes by knowing the vocabulary, which comes by putting on the right lenses, and when you do that, you start to look at things differently, and then you can, I'm telling you, when I got these lenses on, I am sure. And when I take these lenses off, I'm like, mm. and when I put these lenses on, I'm just, I'm off. Remove the wrong lenses, put on the right lenses. And this is when the Bible says things like, when you do this, it's like, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Then there's, there's a way in which God's will sometimes is, I need to hear a specific answer. How much should I buy that stock for at a certain number or something like that? I've literally never bought a stock, so I don't, I'm even speaking out of a lot of ignorance right now. But let's just say you said, God, I'm asking for the exact number. Maybe somebody does that, or I'm going to buy a car. It's less of that. And sometimes it often becomes whatever you want will tend to go in the right direction when you're abiding in him and his words are abiding in you. There's a way in which there, there is value in getting the perfect price for a car, but there's even more value in becoming the kind of person that is so prone to wearing these lenses that you're constantly walking in the will of God, that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. There, there is one more thing to say, though. Like, when, when you are abiding in him and his words are abiding in you, in general, I think your life is going to trend in recognizing God's will. But I do want to point out to you that Jesus himself was always wearing the right lenses. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane about to die, about to go to the cross, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, what did he say? Not my, but I need you to see that it's, it's actually possible in these human bodies, even doing everything right, even not sinning at all, even wearing all the right lenses, you could still have a will that is different from what God's will is. Which raises the question, is there a way to discern God's will? And I think that's where this thing ends. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Take off the wrong lenses. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put on the right lenses. And it says, then, everybody say then, then you will be able to test and approve. Or one version says, then you will be able to discern or to distinguish what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. First you detox. First you take off the wrong lenses. Then you put on the right lenses. Then you learn the vocabulary. And once you know the vocabulary, then you, and I like this word, you will test. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And friends, this is what I want to say. When the glasses are on, test it. Man, I'm thinking about marrying this guy. Pastor Mike, this, my boyfriend, I, I think he's going to propose. And uh, I don't know. I like him a lot, but I don't know if I'm ready for marriage. What do I say? Like, how awkward is that? Is if, my, if he does propose, I'm like, oh, how do I tell him? I'm not really sure, but if he, if he asks me, I might say, I just want to do God's will. Ever, anyone ever felt like that? Like, how do you, we'll test that. You test things like this. You test with the right lenses on. You test and you start to run this through. The, the te- what does God's word say? So I would ask things like this. Well, your boyfriend that's about to propose, 
does he follow Jesus? Because the Bible talks about things like don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry someone that doesn't share your faith. Okay? Like, we would say, well, no, but, but I believe he will one day. Okay, well, th- we already have a no-brainer then. Right now, he might one day. But right now, we already know marriage for sure is yoking. And the Bible says, so the vocabulary word that we have in our spiritual duolingo is letting us know, you know, don't be unequally yoked. Like, oh, that's right, I forgot that vocabulary word. Good vocabulary word, right? Or let's say he is like, oh my gosh, no, he's, he's amazing. He's incredible. You know, he, he's, he's, he's the godliest man I've ever known. Okay, awesome. Well, what, what do your parents say? Well, I haven't even, I haven't told them about him. Oh, okay. Well, the Bible says a man will leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. So you probably want to bring your parents into it. Yeah, but mm, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's been a little strained with me and my parents. Okay, no, no, I get that. I get that. But, but nonetheless, like I, I want you to see like God, he has told us that there's some connection between parents. Like parents know things. Parents, they, 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 they get things, you know. Uh, my son-in-law, <laughs> um, Jared, is... His parents are two of the best parents I've ever met. You know, like the, the way that they raised him. I'm like, one of my greatest gra- points of gratitude is, oh my gosh, am I glad that he got raised like this. Like he got raised. So there's a way in which parents have a big thing to say about stuff like that, right? So I'm like, oh, well, I'd, oh okay. So, well, what do the parents say? Well, trust. What, what does this community say? When you get married, it tends to be, I, I'd want to know what some of the people around them. I would ask things like, well, how does he treat his sister? Oh, they hate each other. They, I'm like, oh, that's, that's a warning sign. You know, like, he might end up treating you the way he treats Anyway, so my point is, I would be looking for, and the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So when you're looking for God's will, have you, looking through, have you gone to counsel? Have you gone through authorities? Have you looked at what the scripture says? What I'm trying to give you a picture of, once you know what God's will is, now test it. Mike, I'm thinking about buying a car. Should I buy this car? Okay, put the glasses on. Go, go take the wrong glasses off. Why do you want, why do you want to buy this car? Ugh, all my friends just got a Tesla. Okay. Maybe that's how God speaks to you. <laughs> maybe that's how it happens. Like everybody, that, everyone is doing it. You're like, maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe not, you know. Let's put the, right, put the right glasses on. Why is it that you want to buy the car that you're talking about? Why do you want to buy one right now? Ugh, I've just been, I don't know, I'm, and you start getting down to it. Have you been abiding in him? Has his words been abiding? I'm very big on, tell me how you and Jesus, how close, have, how clearly are you seeing things right now? Because I've noticed we tend to make a lot of very bad decisions when our vision is unclear. So we test and approve what God's will is, whether we're buying a car. Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about going on a vacation. Where should I go on vacation? So this is what I do. Take off the wrong lenses. Put on the right lenses, and when I get here, now I make my petition to God. Lord, I ask you, please reveal your will. Speak to my heart. Confirm it in my community. Speak through authorities. Let me feel it in my body. I literally even be, let me feel a lack of peace when I'm out of your will because the Bible says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I think it means sometimes you get out of God's will and you'll be like, "Mm, mm, ah," and you feel this, ah, you're walking out the door, you're about to buy the car and you're like, no, and, and it's, it's the Holy Spirit, it's your spirit, it's, oh, you're like, and, and, but when, you, when you've got the glasses on and you say, God, and you maybe even pray things like Colossians 1 when it says, Lord, give us knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. With the glasses on is when I now pray, God, speak to me, and then I listen. I listen in prayer. I listen in journaling. I listen through my community. I bring it up to my microchurch. I bring it up to the leaders in my life. 
I run it by my spouse, the people that know me the best, I ask them about it. And then I try to listen and say, okay, God, do, do I sense this to be the will of God? Remove the wrong lenses, replace it with the right lenses, and when the right lenses are on, now you test it to discern God's will. There are some of you that are here right now that even now you are feeling a sense that you've made some decisions that were out of God's will. There are some of us that there's something we can do about that. And maybe this is a little reminder from you of like, yeah, it's, it's not too late for you to go undo that. Maybe you made a deal, a business deal, and you're like, oh, I should have never done that. Maybe as quickly as possible you go and you're like, man, I was out of God's will. But there is something I just want to say to us that a lot of us are asking God to reveal his unknown will, and we haven't yet been faithful with his known will. God tends to give us more light when we walk in the light that we have. Mike, what do you mean? I mean things like this. If you're here and you've never been baptized in water, for example, the Bible says it is God's will for you to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, don't pass go. Don't, you know, don't collect $200 until you, go, until you go get in full covenant with Jesus where you say, you know what, I'm going to do this. There are some of us that you know there's someone that you need to make something right with and you haven't yet done it. It's time to go do that. There's some of us that, that we know something to be God's will. You're like, ah, oh, I know what God's will is over here, but I don't want to work on this. Lord, I'm asking you about this. And what he's saying is, I want you to be faithful with my known will, and then I'm going to reveal more of my unknown will. And I just want to tell you, there is nothing like walking in the will of God. This summer, it's been a hard year, and this summer, I remember I was, I was, in a, I was visiting with a friend, and I was at his house seeking God and things like this, and I had this sense this one day, I called up my wife, I said, Ruthie, I believe I am in the middle of the will of God right now. I, I feel like for multiple days right now, I have just been in the middle of the will of God. It was not easy, everything wasn't a piece of cake, but there's a sense of peace and joy and hope when you are like, I am in the middle of God's will. You could be in a hospital, and when you're in God's will, there is a joy. You could be in a trial or a hurricane or a tornado, and if you know you're in the middle of God's will, you're like, I'm going to be good. I'm in the center of God's will. Church, I pray for you, for us, that you will have the knowledge of God's will, that you will know his will, that you will have a certainty that springs up hope and joy and faith that you will endure, that when other people quit. See, here's the catch. When you don't know God's will, you peace out prematurely. When you don't know God's will, you crumble. When you don't know God's will, you stumble. But when you know God's will, it's so good. It's so good. It's beautiful. Take off the wrong lenses, put on the right lenses, and then pray something like this. And this is my prayer for you, and I end it with Colossians 1. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, and since the day I started thinking about praying this, I have been praying this for you. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, and I ask God, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding as the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. 
For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to see what happens here when you put the glasses on. He says, I want you to have the knowledge of his will so that you can know him. I don't just want you to know his language. I want you to know Jesus. Because the will of God is that none should perish. It is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if by chance you're here and you don't know him, or if you're watching online and you don't know him, I can tell you this with all of my heart. It is God's will that you would know him. That's how much he loves you. How much was Jesus willing? How much was God willing? Willing to go to a cross, willing to go to a garden where he sweat blood and prayed, not my will, but, but the ultimate will be done so that you could come into relationship with him. He loves you. He adores you. And it is his will that you are one with him. It is his will that you are forgiven by him. It is his will that, that you've got that sense of peace and forgiveness and hope and life. That is his, that's his will. That's his will.